Welcome to the sermons of First Lutheran Church. I'm Pastor James Hunick, and I hope that these sermons help edify you and help you in your Christian faith. Please join us on Sundays for worship at 8.30 a.m. and 11 a.m. with a Bible study in between. If you'd like to know more about us or want to know more about the Lutheran tradition, please visit us at www.youhaveaplace.com or reach out to me at pastorhunick at youhaveaplace.com. Grace, mercy, and peace to you from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. This morning's Old Testament reading is a well-known story for, for many people. It's a popular one for kids. We often tell this is a big feature strongly in uh, VBS curricula or in Sunday school curricula because it's got a kid in it, right? We've, we've heard this story over and over again, and you imagine Samuel is in the temple. Well, there would have been the tabernacle at the time. Usually in our imaginations, he's like a, an eight-year-old boy, about that tall. And he hears the word of the Lord and responds with joy. Pretty great, right? This story is one of those stories, there are lots of them, where we forget about the details and imagine the story in our heads. We have lots of stories that have the, the traditional way of learning them, have covered up what the Bible actually says. I think the most important one is the Christmas story from Luke. You know that story, right? Mary and Joseph go to Bethlehem. Mary is giant. She's like nine and a half months pregnant. She's riding on a donkey. And just as they see the city of Bethlehem, she goes, uh-oh. And Joseph goes banging on every Motel 6 in the town, right? Just about everything I told you in that story is not in the Bible. No donkey, no inn, no rush to the pregnancy. You're like, wait, 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 the Bible says inn. There weren't hotels back in the day. They didn't exist. That word is just, there is no room in the upper room of the house. Just about everything that we imagine in that story comes from tradition and the retelling. What the Bible says is they went to Bethlehem and the child was born. That's it. And they placed him in a manger because the guest room was full. We have other stories like that. And this one that we read today about Samuel is like that. Samuel was likely not an eight-year-old boy. He was a young man, having served Eli in the tabernacle for many, many years after Hannah, his mother, had dropped him off. And the history of Samuel goes like that. So Hannah comes to the tabernacle. She can't have a baby. And the other wife of her husband is teasing her because of it, because that's what happens when you have two wives. They fight over that kind of stuff in the Old Testament. So she's depressed. She's upset. 
She goes to the temple and she prays, give me a child and I will give him to you, Lord. And she has a baby, Samuel. After the baby is weaned, she brings him to Eli and says, here, take the child. I want you all to know that the eunuch household is not taking children as offerings. She brings the child to the temple and gives him to Eli, and he serves in the tabernacle for the rest of his life. What happens before this reading is every year Hannah comes to the sacrifice and she brings a new piece of clothing for for Samuel to wear as he grows. And we get a sentence that says, And Samuel grew and became strong and was filled with wisdom before God and man. Which is that way of saying, and the boy grew up. And so Samuel is now a young man about the same age as David was when he went to fight Goliath, like a teenager is likely the the time frame. He has been serving Eli. Basically, Eli is his dad now. And now Eli is blind, and he's been serving Eli for many, many, many years, basically his whole life. And God comes to him and says, Samuel, And you get the drama, Samuel rushes over to Eli, and he says, I'm here, you called me. And Eli goes, why did you wake me up? Happens again, and finally Eli knows what's going on. He says, it's the Lord. When you hear the voice, say, speak, your servant hears. Samuel goes back and he lies down, he hears the voice, Samuel, Samuel. Speak, your servant hears. And that's where our lectionary says we should end the story. In our lectionary, there's a number of readings that have a a suggested end, and then there's a parenthesis with optional readings afterwards, right? And so what they say is, pastors, if you really want to take a shorter reading, you can. If you want to take the longer reading, you can as well. And I think it's really fascinating the way the lectionary divides this up. I mean, take a look. The Lord came and stood and called at other times, Samuel, Samuel. And Samuel said, speak for your servant hears. And if you end the reading there, it is a wonderful and beautiful moment. You've imagined it in your head when they told it to you in Sunday school. The boy, he looks up and he says, I am here for you, Lord. And that's it. And we tell them, you two children can be used for God. This wonderful, beautiful moment of calling. And there's a reason people don't like what comes next. Put yourself in the place of this young man when you hear these words. I am about to do a thing in Israel at which the two ears of everyone who hears it will tingle. This is about to go viral. On that day, I will fulfill against Eli all that I have spoken concerning his house from beginning to end. And I will declare to him that I am about to punish his house forever for the iniquity that he knew 
because his sons were blaspheming God and he did not restrain them. Therefore, I swear to the house of Eli that the iniquity of Eli's house shall not be atoned for by sacrifice or offering forever. And the next thing goes, Samuel lay until morning. I can imagine he lay until morning staring at the ceiling, right? Speak, Lord, your servant hears. Go tell your dad I'm about to punish him. Whew. What's been going on in the family of Eli? Well, a lot. Eli's sons, their names were Phinehas and Hophni. They were also priests of God in their tabernacles. That office is passed down from father to son, and they have been bad guys. Samuel, earlier, this book tells us that they did not know the Lord, and they were doing pretty awful things. On one part, they were stealing portions of the sacrifice that were not allotted to them. The order of God's sacrificial system allowed for the priests to take particular pieces of the sacrifices as the way that they would eat. But these guys thought they needed the better pieces, not the pieces that were assigned to them. That's only the beginning. They also were sleeping with the ladies who served at the front of the tent of the meeting. Also not so good. And in fact, then they were threatening people with violence if they came to God's temple and didn't listen to them. And Eli knew about it. How could he not? Since it would happen right in front of him. He even told them, hey guys, you got to stop this. But he didn't actually stop them. Not too long before this story, it says, now a man of God came to Eli and said to him, this is what the Lord says. Did I not clearly reveal myself to your father's house when they were in Egypt under Pharaoh? I chose your family out of all the tribes of Israel to be my priest, to go up to my altar, to burn incense, and to wear an ephod in my presence. I also gave your father's house all the offerings made with fire by the Israelites. Why do you scorn my sacrifice and offering that I prescribed for my dwelling? Why do you honor your sons more than me by fattening yourselves on the choice parts of every offering I made by my people Israel? Therefore, the Lord, the God of Israel, declares, I promise that your house and your father's house would minister before me forever. But now, the Lord declares, far be it from me. Those who honor me, I will honor. But those who despise me will be disdained. The time is coming when I will cut short your strength and the strength of your father's house. Yikes. So God sent a prophet to Eli to say, what your sons is doing is not cool. I'm going to cut off your house. And then he says the same thing to Samuel. This is what's going to happen, Samuel. So Eli comes to Samuel, who 
obviously doesn't want to say anything. I wouldn't either. And he says, you better tell me all. May God punish you if you don't. And so Samuel died. What a position to be in. How much pain must it have caused Samuel to go from hearing the voice of God for the first time and the message you get is this message. What's the question he would ask himself all night as he stares at the ceiling when Eli comes to him and says, tell me everything. It's a very simple question and the title of my sermon, do I tell the whole story? Do I tell everything? Or do I make something up? Samuel told Eli the whole story. He told him everything that God had said. And I think it's a good question for us when we're put in a position where we have to ask, what do we tell? When we tell the story of God to people, we ask ourselves, do we tell the whole story? When God gives a word of judgment to the world, do we speak it? When God has a message for sinners, do we say it? That's a tough question, isn't it? Most of us can actually imagine being in the situation that Samuel is because we have relatives and friends who aren't Christians, right? We have friends who are not in the salvation of Jesus Christ. We have family who have left the church and are looking forward only to judgment on the day Christ returns? Do we tell them the whole story? Do we let them know what God says about our sin? That's a hard one, isn't it? Because we ask ourselves, I don't want to get them upset. I don't want them to turn away from the church. I don't want to hurt their feelings. But the story of God, the story of Jesus Christ, doesn't make sense without a word of judgment, does it? Let's think about Jesus himself, right? We talk about Jesus as the Savior of the world. He came to show God's love for the world and to, to give his love for the people. But the cross doesn't make any sense without judgment on sin, right? Jesus, the story of Jesus is he comes down, he becomes a child, he grows up, and then he dies. You don't need to die on a cross just to love, right? Without God's judgment on sin, the cross makes zero sense. Jesus could have come down and hugged a whole bunch of people. That would have been easy, right? Pat everybody on the head and say, God loves you just the way you are. Trophies for everyone. But then the cross wouldn't make any sense. 
Jesus wouldn't have had to die to take away the sin of the world. He wouldn't need the whips and the, 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 the nails through his wrists and feet, the crown of thorns on his head. He wouldn't have had to cry out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It only makes sense if God actually judges sin. If God threatens the sinner with eternal death forever. And we can look at the cross and we can say, that is what I deserved. That is what was supposed to be for me. And he took it instead. How amazing. I am not judged like Christ because he was judged for me. I will not be cast into hell because he was judged for me. And now I have the life that he deserves. The cross only makes sense when you know about the judgment that was placed on Christ instead of on you. The same thing is true when we look at our confession and absolution, right? Think about how that works in our lives. What would happen if you took only one part of that story? Let's start with what, what would happen if we just had the love part, right? I forgive you. And everybody's like, yay! Everything's great. Jesus just loves me. And you tell people that over and over and over long enough, and they just say, well, great, isn't this awesome? I don't have to worry about this stuff anymore. Jesus just loves me, and I can go and do whatever I feel like. What happens if you just have the confession? I am by nature sinful and unclean. I have sinned against you, thought, word, and deed, by what I have done and by what I have left undone. I justly deserve your present and eternal punishment. And then you stop. That would be kind of depressing too, right? So if you just give them the grace, that doesn't work. And if you just give them the law, that doesn't work. But when you bring it together, I am a sinner. I justly deserve your present and eternal punishment. And then the pastor says, I forgive your sins. What we get is the whole story. I'm a sinner. On my own, I'm going to hell. But Christ came to die for me to give me life. There's a reason I gather around Christ and his word. It's because I need that salvation. I need the whole story to be saved. My sin, his grace. And it's the same for those who are not a part of the church. If we just tell them, God loves you, Jesus came to give you his love, they will say, that's awesome, thanks a lot, I'm going to go do my own thing. Because it's not the whole story. For those who are outside the church, those who are happy in their sin, they need to know that God threatens judgment. 
for all who turn away from him. That our sin places us outside of God's grace and threatens hell forever. It's the only way to point them to the gospel. And then when they go, oh yeah, that's right, it's easy. And Jesus came to die for you. The story doesn't make sense without both pieces. What I think is fascinating about 1 Samuel and this story is how Eli reacts to the word that Samuel gives him. This is really interesting for me. Samuel tells him everything. It goes, so Samuel told him everything and hid nothing from him. And then Eli said, it is the Lord. Let him do what seems good to him. What? Eli just heard that his sons are going to die, and so is he, and it's, his family's going to be cut off. They will never be priests. All of that terrible stuff is going to happen. He's like, oh yeah, okay. God does what he wants, and I can accept that. Eli is still a faithful priest even if he can't control his sons. When he hears the word of judgment, he accepts what God is going to do. And sometimes, when the word of, of judgment is told, when we explain God's law to people, they go, huh, that makes sense. Maybe I do need Jesus. And it's the way to gather them into the faith. We can tell the whole story because that is what is necessary to become a Christian. It's necessary in your life because you need to hear about your sin to receive forgiveness. And it's necessary for those outside the church too. We have to tell the whole story or else Jesus doesn't make sense. In his name, amen. Thank you for listening to our sermons. If you have any questions about anything that you've heard or anything about the Lutheran tradition, I would love to answer them. Please contact me at pastor, H-U-E-N-I-N-K, at youhaveaplace.com.